encourage you to uh, take some time with Dr. Jessica. Uh, Debbie and I spent some time. She's got a great story of what God has done in her life. And uh, you're going to be blessed. And so take some time to sign up for that. Actually, Rachel Michellis that Aaron mentioned is going to be with us on July 29th. She had to come back for some surgery. And she's going to come uh, in part of our service on July 29th. And this is just one of the ways we know there's a God. He and I traveled to a little city called Ciudad del Este in the southeast part of the nation of Paraguay. I had to look it up on a map, didn't even know where it was. And at that place, we met a nurse, Kathy, that's probably going to that place in North Africa where uh, Rachel serves already. And uh, more than likely, Dr. Jessica will be heading that way as well. And so God brings these things together in a unique way. And we believe he's at work and he is changing lives. And we praise him for that. This morning I want to talk to you about the idea of this is us. And what we want to do over the course of the rest of the summer as we head towards September is we want to lay some, relay some foundational thoughts that will help us be on all the same page as we move into the fall together. A number of years ago, the leadership of our church sat down over an extended period of time and we studied hundreds of verses of scripture. And we said, what is it that God wants us to be about so that we can move very purposely towards what he would have as we discovered it together in God's word. And so we, we wrote down what was, the, what was the big idea in every one of those verses. And then we categorized them and brought them together. And we came up, first of all, with the purpose or mission statement that you see on the wall uh, beside me. I'd like us to read this together again. Let's read that. We start on the, my, my right side, your left, and then obviously over there. Let's read this together. We exist to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Therefore, in his power, while demonstrating his love, we will reach, teach, and equip people to know, love, and serve him. Those words are lifted directly from many verses of Scripture. And we said, we, this is what we want to focus everything we do as a church about. And then what are some of the key values that rise out of this that will help us implement this mission, this biblical mission statement? And so we came up with seven values from Scripture. And this is the seven values that we are going to preach through throughout the summer as we get ready to relaunch uh, the church here in the fall. And so you're going to see those seven values on the screen behind me. And I'd like us to read those seven values together. Let's read them together. The word, prayer, worship, discipleship, giving, missions, and small groups. We have organized our church around these things. We put great effort towards this mission statement, towards these values that you see behind us. And we're going to be talking, as I said, through these statements throughout the summer. The first one we're going to look at today, and kind of interestingly, we're going to do it in three parts. Uh, we're going to bookend this series with this idea of prayer. And so this morning we're going to start with a message on prayer. And then in the last weeks of the summer, as we head into the fall, I will do a couple more messages on that. And 
the reason we're, we want to do this is because we want to be a church that doesn't do anything before we pray. We want to bathe whatever we're called to do in prayer. We believe that uh, what we're doing is empowered by prayer, that it needs to be rooted in prayer, that we need to hear God's direction and God's leading through prayer. Now, obviously, we can't begin to cover such a huge topic in, in, le in one, let alone three messages. But we're going to look at some key ideas when it comes to the idea of prayer. And so the three messages I'm going to do on prayer in this series, uh, This Is Us, are Search Me, that's today. And then in a few weeks' time, it'll be Break Me. And then the week after that, Send Me. Search Me, Break Me, Send Me. You know, many of our prayers, in the words of Craig Groeschel, many of our prayers are way too safe. We like to pray really safe prayers. The prayers, search me, break me, send me, they are not safe prayers. They are not safe prayers. In fact, some people might even suggest they're sort of dangerous prayers. You have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Psalms, which is found right in the middle of your Bible, Psalm 139. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you a Bible or you can, we'll, we'll lend you a Bible. Um, you know, somebody like you saw Naftali up here reading his, the scriptures from his iPhone or whatever, uh, get the Word of God into your hands. If it's an iPhone or it's a hard copy like this, that's a great thing. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24, as we look at this idea of search me. And this is a prayer of King David. And we're just going to look at the last couple of verses of this prayer. David prays this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now the context of this is that the enemies of David have been speaking against the God of the Bible. And they've been speaking about David personally and questioning his motives. And I think when we would pray in response to those kinds of attacks, often we would be tempted to pray very defensive prayers. Or in some of our cases, we would pray very offensive prayers. You know, get them, God. They're, they're speaking ill of you, and they're speaking ill of me, and they're questioning my motives. Would you get them, God? Interestingly, this is not how he prays in this prayer. He prays in a very self-reflective way. God, would you search me? Would you search my heart? Would you discern my motives in all of this? Would you discern and evaluate my actions. And so with that in mind, let me reread it. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is what David prayed, and it's a dangerous prayer. It's not a safe prayer. So he begins by saying, God, would you search my heart? You know, many of us, we think to ourselves, I'm a pretty good guy. And I think my heart is just fine. You know what the Bible actually teaches about the human heart? 
The Bible teaches that without Christ, without the application of the work of the cross, which we celebrated at the communion table, without the application of the work of the cross in our life, the, the prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Without Christ, Jeremiah is saying, we deceive ourselves, we lie to ourselves, we don't even begin to appreciate how bad we are. And we're always, and we're always saying this because we're compared to holy God. Never to other people, always to holy God. And so we lie to ourselves and we say things like, I'm not full of pride. I don't lust. Lying to myself. I, I don't lie. I'm not materialistic. I never gossip. Other people do that. I never gossip. I can't believe how much those people, have you seen how much those people gossip over there? I can't believe how much they do. But I never gossip. That's all their problem. For David and for us to invite God to search our hearts, that's a dangerous prayer. Because when we do that, he'll actually do it. And so David says, okay, all this stuff is going on. They're attacking God. They're attacking David himself. They're attacking his motives. And he says in the midst of this, would you, would you search me? Would you know me? Would you test me? And when I've prayed that prayer, which I've prayed many times in my life, or words like it, it's very humbling. Because there's been many times in my life where God has put his finger on something very specific in my life. I often say this, but it's important to remember. He will never point at things in a general way. He will never be vague in the things that he is speaking to us about. He will be very specific because if it's vague, if it's ambiguous, what can you do about it? You just feel bad about yourself. That's false guilt from the evil one. No, God will be very specific because here's the thing with God. God's goal is always a redemptive goal. He wants to bring uh, forgiveness. He wants to bring cleansing. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring restoration. And so his goal is for that which is good in our life, a redemptive thing. And so he'll say, Scott, you were very arrogant in that situation. And the memory will come vividly to mind. Or you were, you were just faking it over there. And it won't be a vague thing. It'll be a very specific thing. Or Scott, you just hurt that person with your sharp tongue. And I've had to repent of those kinds of things and others. And ask forgiveness from God. And if there's other people involved, uh, ask them to forgive me as well. It's a dangerous prayer to pray. It's not a safe prayer. Because if we sincerely pray that prayer, God will show me things in my heart that are not pure. So here's the thing. God can be trusted in this. You know, because we go, oh, this, this isn't very safe. And this is kind of dangerous. Can I trust God with my heart? Can I really trust him to examine my heart and see if there's some impurities in there that have not yet to date been dealt with? 
where he can be trusted. He'll never point things out to us to be cruel. He doesn't, in my experience, he doesn't overwhelm us. In other words, in fact, he won't always give us something every time. There's been many times what I've prayed where he's just said, there, there's just nothing right now, Scott. And in my experience, he never gives the whole thing all at once because that would completely overwhelm us because his goal is a redemptive goal. And so typically he will roll it out in chunks and then he helps us process through it, which gives us courage to do it again. And the goal is always to bring us into deeper intimacy with, uh, with him. And as he does this, his spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. And so he looks at us, and theologically, positionally, he sees us as holy because we are in Christ. We are viewed by God as holy because we're in Christ. But we're also told in the scripture that we keep on living experientially. And so th there's this positional already and yet not, not yet. And so it is an ongoing journey that we are with, on, with Christ. And, and Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let me read it to you. He says, And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed, are being transformed into the likeness of Christ with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so Jesus, because of Christ, we're seen positionally as being holy, but experientially we are being transformed. Our values are being reshaped into biblical values. The way we think and the things we want to do. And see, I believe deep in my heart that the vast bulk of us here this morning, maybe all of us, deep down in our heart, that sounds deeply appealing. We're thinking to ourselves, uh, oh, I'd like that. I'd really like that. I'd like a relationship with God that's really redemptive, that's not regressing, that's not stagnant, that's not me just trying to kind of fake my way through it, but rather, I think deep in our heart, we long for just a flourishing, growing relationship with God. And this is what he wants to do. And it begins with this prayer, this dangerous prayer, this not safe prayer in that sense. Search me. Search me. Then he goes on and he says, reveal my fears. Search me first, then reveal my fears. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. He reveals my fears. Know my anxious thoughts. What is it in life that makes me anxious? Now, I think a lot of times, again, we have this propensity to lie to ourselves, and, and we'll, we'll kind of look at stuff like this, and we go, well, I think this is just stuff that everybody is supposed to worry about. But he's saying internally, what are the things that make me anxious? Is, you know, is it losing a job? Is it not getting married by a certain time? Is it the marriage that I'm in is not getting any better? Is it the future? Is it the unknown? Is it how will I pay that bill? Is it failing? And for some people, it's what if I succeed? What if I lose that person? Craig Rochelle has said, could it be that what we fear the most reveals what, where we trust God the least. 
Think about that. Could it be that what we fear the most reveals where we trust God the least? I'm concerned about my marriage. Well, in a sense, I'm saying I don't trust the one who created marriage, who calls us to stay in our marriage, who calls us to sacrifice for our partner, who calls us to give ourselves up for that partner. I'm afraid I won't be able to pay my bills. Maybe that's because I don't really see and I don't really trust God. The Hebrew word is Jehovah Jireh, which literally means my provider. Jehovah, my provider. I'm afraid I, I won't be able to keep my children safe. And, and is that perhaps a comment that I'm not trusting God with my kids? And so David says, God, would you reveal my deep-seated fears? Would you test me and show me my anxious thoughts? Because I understand they're curtailing all that you want for me in life. It's not how you want me to go through life. For me, over the years, one of the things I've been afraid of is a failing. It's something I've wrestled with. And I, just to be really candid with you, I think there's times in my life where I've succeeded not for right motives, but because I was driven not to fail or to be seen as inadequate. That's not a good reason to quote-unquote succeed. This is a problem for people like me and people like you because Scripture calls us to live by faith. Scripture calls someone like me to lead that way. In fact, it says without faith in Scripture, it's impossible to please God. And so for me, the prayer over the years has become, God, I love to please you more than I fear failing. It's become, Lord, I pray that you would help me be obedient and love you no matter what. Because that's the highest goal. One of the things my pastor taught me when I was a teenager was to pray something like this, Lord, I'm prepared to be a fool for you today. He would pray that almost every time he got up to preach. I often pray that. I'm prepared to be a fool for you today because who you are and, and what you've done and where you're calling me is so much more important than the fact that I might look foolish to you. And as I pray those kinds of prayers, I, and, and again, this might look a little different for each of us, eh? but as I pray those kind of prayers, I just weave scripture into them. You know, things like perfect love casts out all fear. Yes, God, would you, would you just cast out all fear that I have of failing? And, and God, you, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. What are you most afraid of? This is what David is praying. This is a dangerous prayer. What are you most afraid of? It takes courage to pray that prayer sincerely. To invite God to search us, to invite God to test us, to invite God to know our anxious thoughts. And then he begins to move us past those fears because that's the first step in moving past those fears. Then he goes on and he says, you know, see if, uncover my sins. See if there's any 
um, offensive way in me in verse 24. Offensive way in me. God, I'm going to pause and because I know you're a holy God and you can't countenance sin, you don't have anything to do with it. In fact, when all of our sin was laid on Jesus on the cross, God turned away. Because he does not tolerate sin. And so God, show me if there's anything in my life that's inconsistent with your truth. Show me if there's anything in my life that's displeasing to you. And I think, you know, let's just be honest, it's so much easier for us to see that in other people's lives than it is to see it in our lives. Because when we look, typically, when we look in a mirror, all of a sudden, boy, that mirror hasn't been cleaned in such a long time. It's really kind of dirty and kind of hazy. I can't see a very good reflection of myself. Someone has said this, we tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. We tend to accuse others and excuse ourselves. So let me just, let me give you three very practical things, questions that you can pray through. These are great questions to just pray through in your prayer life that really help um, with our self-awareness with what God would speak into our life. So what are, what are others trying to tell me? You know, people that care about me, people that want what's best for me, godly people, you know, pick three of those kind of people in my life. God, would you help me to hear what they're really saying to me? You know, if they're saying, Scott, you really have got to deal in this area of your life, and you're hearing this from godly people that care about you from multiple sources, that's an issue in my life then, right? But we, we tend to minimize those things. We tend to think, oh, they don't know me very well. They don't really know what's going on. But maybe God wants us to really pay attention to those godly comments. So we pray through that. Secondly, um, to ask yourself, what have I rationalized for some time? God, as you're praying, just say, God, you know, pull back the layers so that I can see if there's any offensive way in me, you know, so that I can stop rationalizing my behavior. And rationalizing, oh, it can sound in so many ways. We're very creative when it comes to that. It might sound something like this. Yeah, this may not be right, but after all, I've been doing all this right. And so this doesn't matter so much. And I've been doing so well over here, I think I deserve some slack in this area. Or this is just how I cope, because I'm putting all that effort into this stuff, so this is just how I cope. And we rationalize away that which we know God wants to put his finger on. Thirdly, where am I? Where am I most offensive? No, no, no. We're not going to talk about that right now. You know, we're not going to talk about that stuff in my life. But we're going to talk about you. We're going to talk about that stuff over there. But we're not going to talk about me. And we process those questions in the context of prayer. God, is there any offensive way in me? Has He been sending people into my life to tell me something? And again, in my experience, um, he, when we pray like this, he's, he's not going to point something out every time. 
he is not going to point it all out at once. He, he typically gives it in what, under it'll, it might overwhelm us a bit, but with him, he can help process it, it through. And, and we're told that, that as we do this, that as we confess our sin, he'll cleanse us from our sin. We're told that in James chapter 5, if it's these other people speaking to our, into our life, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. This is why there's so much wisdom when we talk about those seven values in being in a small group or in a triad or with a prayer partner. We have so many of those in our church. I don't even know how many we have. I'm hearing about new ones all the time. And Pastor Aaron is organizing that. Like two, you know, prayer partners or triads or small group. We have a huge number of people in these things where they get together, they care for one another, they pray for one another. They try to be supportive of one another. They open up God's word together and try to hold each other accountable. Because our church is like any Bible-believing church. It's full of imperfect people like me who are being transformed by a perfect God. So here's the really good news. What does all this do? It points us to our need for Jesus. That our true identity is not found in what I accomplish. It's not in found in what I quote-unquote succeed at. It's not found in what people think about me. My true identity is found in Christ. And this continues to be a dangerous prayer because when we pray it, he will show some things about ourselves that we're not proud of. But the, the truth at the very end of the, the prayer is that there's always grace. There's always grace. That's why he prays at the end, lead me in the way everlasting. See, when we first come to Christ, he begins to process what might be described as the big rocks in our life. But as we continue to walk with Jesus, suddenly it's like he's moving on to smaller of the littler rocks, you know, for lack of a better term. But we begin to realize, I find, after we've been Christians for a while, that those littler rocks can actually be the big rocks. And we don't want to really nibble at the edge of those. And they point us to our direct need for Christ. I'm not talking about getting saved over again. I'm talking about going deeper in Christ. I need your grace. I need your freedom. I need a fresh anointing of your spirit. When we're full of the spirit, and then we... Uh, walk in ongoing, repeated fillings of the Spirit. This empowers us to live a holy life. This empowers us to serve. And it empowers us to help, to help us live for an audience of one. To understand our security is not found in what people think of us, but in Christ alone. And this is what the way everlasting leads us to, this transforming power. So here's what I want to do. It's a little dangerous. Uh, it's a little scary. Uh, I want to do two things. In just a moment, we're going to put Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 up on the screen. We'll do that in just a minute. And I'm going to invite us to pray this prayer. Now, you're going to do it in a group, but you're doing it individually. And I'm going to just encourage you, 
just respect the people around you. Don't be listening to if they pray it or not. Don't be listening to how they do it. Be focused on what God wants to do in your life. And so I'm, if you have the courage to pray this sort of dangerous prayer with me, to, to pray it, and then we're going to have a time of silence afterwards where you can just listen and see if God wants to whisper anything into your life. That's the first thing, if you're willing to do it with me. The second thing is, is I want to challenge you to just pray this prayer. You know, you pick a number, four times this week or five times this week or seven times this week, whatever is good for you, and just pray this prayer and then just have some time of silence and see, is God putting anything, putting his finger on anything in your life? So I want us to pray this out loud together without looking around or listening to the other people. And then there's going to be a time of silence and then I'll conclude our service in prayer. So let's put that up on the screen. And I'd like us to pray this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Kind Father, how grateful we are for your love for us. Thank you that you are a God that can be trusted with this kind of stuff. And I just believe, Father, that in many people's lives, in many lives here in this auditorium this morning, including mine, you've put your finger specifically on something in my life this morning. And for many people here, I think you might have done that. So, Lord, would you walk with, I know you won't abandon us, I pray that you'll walk with us as we process through this, that we, in your redemptive, ongoing work in our life, that you would, uh, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that the great freedom we have in Christ is, is such a beautiful thing to be part of and partake of. And so we go now longing to serve you. We pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit. We pray that people will see us being more and more like Jesus all the time. We pray these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed. Good to have you here, man. Good to see you. Yeah. Good to have you here, Bob. Good to see you, man. Yeah, I love you. You have a good summer. I'm heading.